podcast. <laughs> That's a little unexpected. In case you uh, didn't know, this is a Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and I've got Darcy with me coming Hello. in live. <laughs> coming in live from somewhere in the South. From the South. <laughs> right? She's got jazz hands or something going on on the other end. So we do these recordings over Skype, and um, I have not gotten out of my bathrobe for, I don't know, three days straight. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Can anyone else out there identify? I mean, I... I, like I said, I, I don't know if this episode has been published yet, but I, I'm a two shower a day person. So like I always have to like if I only have one shower a day, I feel like gross. So like I'm mm-hmm. always at least changing clothes. And I've been working a lot, working out a lot because I just joined a cult. I texted you. Oh, yeah. yeah I was yeah. like, seriously joined a cult. I joined- I, okay, hold up. <laughs> Darcy literally texts me the other night and says, hey, I joined a cult. And immediately I like, was like, what? What? I thought she was legit talking about joining a real cult. No. Uh, I joined Peloton, and I've ordered a bike. It's not here yet, though, but uh, it'll be here soon. And I've started doing the classes on my current bike setup, which is a bike, a road bike and a trainer. And then I've done some of, like, the, um, the like strength classes and stuff like that. And I am obsessed with it. It just, like... I don't know how to explain it. Like, it just makes you feel so good about yourself. And it's like positive reinforcement just for like working out that day. Like, it's just, I don't know how to explain it. It's amazing. Guess what? You want to guess what I'm passionate about lately? Your house? Drinking a glass of, a bottle of wine every night. <laughs> a bottle of wine? <laughs> yes. Wow. Or like a good portion of a bottle of wine every night. Because I discovered that drinking a bottle of champagne, is only 600 calories for an entire bottle. That's still a lot though. <laughs> I'm really not drinking a bottle every night, but I have been drinking a lot and I'm yeah. trying to like, things have been very stressful, but yeah, I got my period. Okay. So I was like, eh, I'm going to drink heavily for at least another week until <laughs> <Okay. laughs> it's time to try again. Then I'll stop. That's fair. But, That's fair. But still, it's not like super heavily anyway. It's like yeah. a couple of glasses of white wine and that's all I'm drinking. Ew, I do like, not like white wine. Or champagne. But... No, I do like champagne, but I'm a red wine gal. Mostly because it started out of laziness because I don't have to chill it. I can just bring it home and open it. And then I got to the point where I was like, all white wine just tastes way too sweet now. Yeah, it depends, you know, on what kind you get and what flavors I know, but it's just, I think it's like the, just the fact that it's cold. It just like makes me think it's going to be really sweet. And so I just don't want any white wine now. Well, I love champ and Prosecco. Those are like my favorite. I'll drink that all all day, every day. Like mimosas, which I have right now. Mmm. Look at you. I just finished my second cup of coffee. I made coffee at 3.30 this afternoon because I could not keep my eyes open. And you wonder why you can't sleep at night. No, I normally don't do that. I normally only have like a half a cup in the morning or maybe a cup in the morning and I still don't sleep. But today, like I could not get out of bed. I couldn't. I set my alarm. I was going to do a workout at 12.30 and then I was like, I'm too tired. I don't want to do it. So I went back to bed and like... I woke up and I was like, we got to do this recording. I got to make some coffee because my <laughs> I gotta boss make, will not I gotta say I got to be up. alive. I got to yeah. be alive, right? Yeah. Well, I mean. It was a lazy Sunday for me, for sure. And then we just put the check down for the plaster guy yesterday. That, that's the one cool thing. Um, when is that going to start? I guess he's starting next week and it's supposed to take about two weeks for them to finish the plastering. Nice. 
So the secondarily cool thing is we went to this auction yesterday and like Mm -hmm. picked up some cool stuff, like an old trunk. And like, I got this really cool old chair that I'm going to reupholster. And so I went to the fabric store to pick out my pat, my fabrics for the reupholstering. And now I'm like all fired up because I'm like, I'm going to reupholster a freaking chair. And the chair we didn't get at the auction, the chair we found in the basement of one of the old, of our other house. And it's like this, and I'll show you. Is it haunted? You found it in a basement. It's probably haunted. Oh, that's can you, cute. Can you see it? Yeah. I'm trying to figure out which way. What, the... what, are you, what color are you upholstering it with? Um, hang on, let me set this down and get it situated. I'll show you the pattern. What? It's kind of a wild pattern, but I, for some reason, saw it and like fell in love with it instantly. <gasps> Ooh, can you see that's it? That's really pretty. Yeah, it's kind of like a bluish gray, and it's birds, and it's almost like an Egyptian pattern. Yeah, like from the Nile kings period or the pharaohs yeah. period. So to me, I just saw it and was like instantly, yeah, I love this. I like and I just, that. I think it's gonna look so neat on that chair. Yeah, you'll have to post pictures of that. So because we have this room upstairs that we call it the dinosaur room, um, because we had in our old house, it was the dinosaur room as well, but all the furniture and the decorations are like boy related. And they were these big pictures of dinosaurs, like big sketches of dinosaurs, not in a childish way, but (laughs) like almost like in a teenager type way. Okay. And then like an actual sculpture of a dinosaur on this stand, which is really Is Mike really into dinosaurs? No. But we had, a, we had a model home, and it was already decorated, oh. remember, in California. So, like, they decorated. There was a horse room for the girl that had all this kind of horsey oh, stuff. Oh, I got gotcha. you. So it was supposed and, to be, like, a boy's room. And then the boy room was, like, a dinosaur kind of a theme. And it's I gotcha. Like, um, not really wasn't my preference, but the pictures of the dinosaurs are actually kind of cool, and they're really big. Like, yeah. So I, I thought at the very least we could use the frames, and I could put my Gustav Klemp and have those ones framed in the frames but yeah we'll see what happens we're trying to like reuse and repurpose as much of the old furniture from the house as we can because Mm -hmm. so much of it just needs new material like Mm -hmm. it's so badass it just needs to be either like sanded down or like needs to be reupholstered but like because we have a couple of i'd say we probably have three or four old chairs and old couches in this house and like, what are you going to do with an old couch or an old chair? Like, yeah, you don't want to sit in that. Like, you yeah. could put a cover on it or whatever. But, I mean, I think it's a much cooler project. And it's not really that hard to reupholster. So, See, like, I never, knowing you in San Diego, I never would have no- guessed that you were, like, into doing all of this kind of home renovation stuff. Because everything um, out there is all, like, prefab and... yeah. And we yeah. had a model house, so like we didn't have to do anything. We yeah. got rid of all of our old furniture. We got rid of all of our stuff, with the exception of Mike had a bunch of old pieces that are like Ethan Allen, like really good, like high quality mm-hmm. pieces. And he was like, "No, I want to keep these in case the kids want them mm-hmm. when they, you know, move out on their own and and stuff like that." And there's just a, there's a dining room table, and there's a, a desk, and there's a couple of old chairs, and then we had a couple of other little pieces that are just kind of neat little like really high quality pieces yeah. that he got 20 or 30 years ago yeah. that are, are, are just really well-made that we would mm-hmm. want to get rid of. And we I always had a dining kept room them, table like that. Yeah, we always kept them kind of in the either the basement or in the garage. 
But now, like, hey, we can use them because the house is big enough to where mm-hmm. we need all that. But at the auction, we got some old um, rugs, like Persian rugs. Mm-hmm. And we got a couple of neat paintings. And we got an old steamer trunk that used to be, like, because back in the day, the old Model Ts and the old cars had, like, an actual trunk strapped to the back of the car. And that was the trunk for the car. Oh, so we found one of those at this auction, and it is so cool. I saw that on your Instagram, and I didn't really get it. Okay, so that was the actual trunk. Yeah. Like, like they have the these either the leather car. or wooden, like, steamer trunks, and they would strap them on to the back of the car, and that was the trunk wow. where they would put all the stuff, because they didn't have an actual trunk with right. those old Model Ts. So it's really cool. Wow. But um, did you hear there's some updates in the Jennifer Dulos case? Which I is did not. Which have covered off and on. Evidently, they have this bone finder guy who, or machine that pinpoints locations where the ground was recently disturbed. Okay. And they have it up on Dulos's property. Is it like EquiSearch, like that group? I think so. But it says Bob Perry, the bone finder, provides new developments in the search for Jennifer Dulos. So... Evidently, at the end of last year, or like close to the end of last year, they had some new charges filed against the girlfriend for obstruction mm. of justice and everything like that because they said she, they now had conclusive evidence that she helped clean out the truck that photos. Oh, photos really? Dulos supposedly drove off in when he allegedly killed Jennifer Dulos, and then he had to borrow the coworker's truck. Mm-hmm. That Is this the same helped. one where they like went to different places and dropped trash into random people's... That's that same truck? Uh, no, I think it's a different truck. Oh, okay. I think he used his own truck during that time. But oh. he borrowed an employee's truck when he went to that park and parked near the house so that yes. no one would see his car near Jennifer yeah. Dulos' house. And then supposedly there, when, they, when the police got the truck and looked through it later, they found blood evidence within the truck that had Jennifer's DNA. Okay. But they proved that the um, girlfriend, mm-hmm. Tr- Traconis, I believe is her last name, had helped clean the truck up. Mm. So that's further obstruction charges right. that were filed against her, I believe, for that, as well as I think the attorney was in the know on that as well. But now they are starting to dig up properties that were either, that are either owned by Fudis Dulos and his family or that were at one point, and they're mm. going through with the radar ground penetrating equipment trying to find her. Wow. And it's really interesting because they haven't found anything yet, but I think they feel like they're getting close. I feel like that, that case is close to getting broken open. I hope so. And then they, they also showed that it was like $9 million or some crazy amount that's been spent so far on that case. Wow. Like if you look up Jennifer Dulos update. Uh-huh. I'm glad that they're going through with the prosecution of the girlfriend, though, even after Fotos died by suicide, because it doesn't mean that the case is closed. Like, she still clearly has information. And the fact that they're charging her with obstruction for cleaning out that truck means that she's not cooperating still, you yeah. know? So. I think she wants to distance herself from it. Um, well, and you probably and should have distanced yourself from the guy who killed his ex-wife. Right. And they're trying to get it moved to a different court. There's just all kinds of stuff that's going on. I can't find that other article, but I guess they've already spent just millions and millions on this investigation. And it's not over yet. Right. We still have to have the the court case and the trial and everything. So it's been a very, very expensive thing. And I'm sure, you know, her family is pushing. We need to find her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think that 
in a, a case like that where you just want to find your loved one, I don't think you probably think in terms of is there an amount that's too much to find right. the loved one. Right. Right. I think you probably get to a point where you're like, I don't care what it takes. Find my daughter. Yeah. I mean, you just mother. go to the, you, you want to go to the ends of the earth to find, to find her and bring her home. Yeah. So um, I think that that case has had a lot of twists and turns. I think it's been about a year since photo, photo, the Fotis Dulos. That's his name, right? Yeah. I feel like I'm always mispronouncing it. It's been about a year since he committed suicide. Gosh, has it really been a year? Yeah, there was an article that just came out the other day that says one year after Fotis Dulos' suicide. And she went missing in May, like May-ish, right? Of 2019? Yeah, 2019, right. And we covered the story like not too long after it happened. And then we've done various updates over time. And I honestly and very sincerely feel like we're going to get some kind of resolution here. I hope so. I mean, you'd think the girlfriend would turn state's evidence at this point. He's gone. Like, what do you have to to lose? Like, besides getting yourself into more jail time. Well, and it sounds like that attorney, too, is he knows more than he's letting on. And he was the one, they were the one that tried to say, like, she had a, she did a gone girl thing, right? That was them? Yeah. 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 Isn't that ridiculous? That attorney was trash. It was trash. Um, Yeah. And I think that it's a type of a situation where it makes me think maybe the girlfriend didn't know. Because why not turn, get a plea deal? And get yourself out by telling him everything you know. So it makes me think that he did it and didn't tell her because he didn't want her to be, you know what I mean? He didn't want her to have that information to be able to, like, for them to uh, subpoena her or Mm -hmm. interview her. If she doesn't know anything, she can't tell them anything. So I think he deliberately kept her in the dark. Yeah, but she could have still said, yeah, I did help clean up this truck. I mean, she could have, there's information she could have given and that she clearly hasn't. Yeah, I mean... She's definitely, like, keeping everything close to her. Yeah. Best. I mean, she may not, genuinely may not know where Jennifer Dulos' body is, but she, there's clearly information that she does have that she's not volunteering if she's being yeah. hit with new charges. She's definitely not being helpful Mm-mm. at all with the way she's doing And I was trying to find what um, episode that was so that I could direct the listeners because we've talked about it a few times. Yeah. It was definitely, I think, back in 2019 that we talked about it. And we, she was part of the four-person, four-girl episode that was we she? had that was the Kelsey... Mm-hmm. Um, Bareth. Bareth one and Mackenzie Luke. And then we added another one to it. But um, hang on. So we did it on October 13th, 2019. We talked about her... And then um, we also talked about her in Four Women, One Terrible Fate. And that was July 21st, 2019. Okay. So there's two episodes that we talk about, Miss Jennifer Dulos, and I hope they find her soon. Yeah. But um, we're going to go ahead and jump into the main case for the day. And Darcy, this one is wild. Okay. And it's an, this is an Alabama girl. Oh. So I, I don't know if you've heard of this one, but Audrey Marie Hilly? Yes. I yeah. do know this one. I heard a couple of podcasts about this, mm-hmm. and I kind of had it on the back burner list, but then I heard this one where they were telling about some later stuff in the case, and I just was like, I didn't hear that I think that they part. just did a 48 hours on it, didn't they? Um, they it's possible. I've yeah. heard, I think, three or four Is this in Mobile? about it. Uh, no, I don't think so. But 
Let's get into it. Okay, you'll, maybe I'm confusing with another story. No, um, I don't. I don't think so. But Miss Audrey Marie Fraser was born June fourth, nineteen thirty-three. Smack dab in the middle of the Great Depression. So as you can imagine. That period in time was a very challenging one in U.S. history. The economy Mm -hmm. had a serious downturn, much like we're kind of in now, but I think it was much more severe back then because we didn't have as many social services programs to help care for people that didn't have income coming in. They didn't have unemployment. They didn't have things like that back then. So it was really a very desperate kind of a situation to be born into, to be born in the Depression times. Mm -hmm. So her family was definitely of modest means and... She was brought up in the Blue Mountain area of Anniston, Alabama. Oh, okay. Do you know where that is? Do you know where that is? Yeah, Anniston is just north uh, east of Birmingham. Okay. Um, Her parents, Lucille and Huey, were of modest means, like I mentioned just now. And the family needed two incomes to survive because Mm -hmm. it was the Depression era. And so both her mom and her dad survived. Both her mom and her dad worked, and that kind of left her at being cared for by family members, mostly aunts and uncles. And this resulted in Audrey being a little bit rate, um, a little bit spoiled mm-hmm. um, because her parents were working and I think they felt bad about that. So they kind of gave her whatever she sure. wanted and let her do whatever she wanted. And they were, I think she was an only child as well. So you get that combination. Plus, you know, they probably felt bad because it's, you know, the Great Depression mm-hmm. and they just want her to be happy because it was a very grim period in our history and people were starving and there were soup lines and people didn't have jobs and they were begging for money and things like that. So I think there was, and that's probably the way people feel now is like you realize how harsh things are out there and how hard people are just trying to survive mm-hmm. so many people in this country. So you want your children to have any little bit of happiness you can provide for them. Right. Um, so. Pause real quick. Is she the one that was kidnapped? No. Dang it. What is this story? I know the name. Anyway, continue. Um, that was, I can't remember what her name is, but that was the, I think that was California. No. Because anyway. okay, um, I just heard that case recently too. Pepon? No, this Pepon. is an Alabama woman that was kidnapped and um, by somebody that, had a vengeance against her husband that wor- used to work for her husband, but I don't remember oh, yeah. that name. No, anyway, no, go ahead. No. Anyway, at the young of age, at the tender age of 18, Audrey married Frank Hilly. And this is May 8th, 1951. They get married. So this is, you got to imagine this is the fifties. You got the pearl necklace, the sweater sets, the kind of, there's a very stereotypical leave it to beaver kind of image that I mm-hmm. get when I think about being married and being a, a married mother in the fifties. I, I definitely, that image strikes up in my mind very quickly. Um, and you can imagine, you know, big hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, she had one child, Mike, in 1952, and another child in 1960 named Carol. And she kind of had an idyllic life at that point. She worked as a secretary. Her husband had at one time been in the Navy, and he had transitioned over to working in a shipyard and was a supervisor making a, a good salary. Are they so, still in Aniston? Do you know? Yeah, they're okay. still in Aniston. Okay. So the couple has two kids, and they're, like, basically... Um, living the good life she's got a boy and a girl like i think there's really no reason that she should not have been perfectly happy at that point Mm -hmm. her husband's taking care of her she has everything she needs but despite this um she was always spending all of their money Mm -hmm. like as soon as they had it she spent all of it and her hubby i think 
had a good position and was making good money. And so he kind of, I think, indulged her initially until she started to get to the point where it was getting out of control. Right. And she started signing up for credit. And I think that was about the time, like 50s, 60s, where they began to give credit at more stores, like more regularly. And so she was signing up for multiple credit accounts and getting P.O. boxes and just doing all kinds of random stuff so she could try to hide the bills from the husband Mm -hmm. so he wouldn't know she was spending all this money on credit. And she was not... It got to the point where she was getting so that she wasn't able to keep up with all these credit bills that were starting to come in for the things she was buying. She was like very, very excessive spending. Mm -hmm. But there was a dark cloud hovering over this whole thing. And it wasn't just the credit issue. And I just want to mention as well that I think there's not really some clear, there's not really anything clear on this, but around that point, either in young adulthood or when she got married, she started going by Marie instead of Audrey. Okay. So she's kind of, her friends knew her as Marie during that time period. So basically Marie likes to do what she wants and she doesn't like anyone telling her no or what to do. Right. Right. Even though she's married and has two kids to think about. And she's taking this credit to all these stores around town and by the mid-70s, Frank starts finding out about all this wife-spending habits and starts trying to like lay down the law with her because she's gotten P.O. boxes and she's trying to hide these bills. And if it was just the credit issues, I think that we maybe wouldn't have a story here, mm-hmm. but he came home early one day and found her cheating on him. Oops. She was in bed with her boss in their house. Yikes. So she's having allegedly dozens of marital affairs. And so she's not only excessively spending, but she's clearly maybe has like control issues or, you know, she cannot um, control herself when it comes to maybe her sexual desires, her spending habits. Like there's clearly like a lack of Mm self-control on her part. And he catches her with this other guy, and does what? What do you think he does? Uh, I kills the other guy. I have no idea. But I mean, you think about what typically happens when you catch someone cheating in your own bed he, in your own he house. Leave. Does he leave? You her? either leave or you kick them out, right? Right. No, that didn't happen. Evidently, their son, who was now an adult by that time period, was in the seminary and was, you know, either a priest or a pastor or something like that. And so I'm gonna guess Baptist pastor. So Just, yeah. Throwing it out the there. Dad Frank, <laughs> yeah. The dad, Frank, starts conferring with the son. And the son tells, you know, you got to forgive her. You know, that she, I'm sure she didn't mean to hurt you and blah, blah, blah. So he forgives her. Mm. Okay. Like the good Christian husband. Big means. mistake. Big, big mistake. So not long after he forgives her, they try to make their marriage work. And then we fast forward to May 1975. Okay. Frank sees his doctor. He has stomach pains. I'm sure you're going to be able to guess what this is. Abdomen problems. He's nauseous. He thinks he has the flu. And no one immediately thinks anything Poisoning. is... Yeah. No one, no one thinks that back then. This is the 70s, right? Yeah. I think people just, oh, you have the flu. You know, it right. sounded to them like he had the stomach flu because he had stomach pains, nausea, vomiting, so forth. So he comes in and he's in the hospital, he's in and out, he gets worse and worse, and eventually he suffers from liver failure. That's how mm. sick, he, sick he was. So he's got the jaundice and he's disoriented and he's super, super sick. And they just think, you know, here's this guy who's in his 40s or 50s and he's just taking a downturn and no one suspects anything bad 
going on in the background. But by May 1975, Frank dies. Late May. So, like, he gets sick in May, and, like, less than a month later, he's dead. Hmm. Uh, The doctors attributed his death to infectious hepatitis. Okay. Because it fit in with the symptoms, supposedly. And just as a quick sidebar, hepatitis is not necessarily a sexually transmitted disease. That's hepatitis C. There are other strains of hepatitis A and B that you can get um, either from an injection or some medicines. Long-term use of medicines can actually give you hepatitis too. So just wanted to throw that out there. Frank was a Navy man. And back then, I mean... Yeah, they were known for but we, getting So we don't know which strain bit, of hepatitis it was. We don't. We well, don't. Or that they're suspecting. They think. I don't think anyone right. confirmed that. I think they right. just looked off what the symptoms were and were very kind of like, oh, okay, this sounds right. like what it was. We're going to go ahead and call it this. I don't think any blood tests were done. I don't think it was a real specific process. Gotcha. Okay. Anyway, Marie gets a $30,000 life insurance payout, which she immediately takes and goes on a shopping spree with cars, mm. clothes, etc. It was worth a lot more than it is now, obviously. Yeah. Um, after Frank's death, Marie's mom, Lucille, moves in. And so she's got Carol and her mom, Lucille, and they're both at home. And then suddenly, Lucille dies of cancer while under her daughter's care. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So Did, her, did we know her mom had cancer before she moved in? She was diagnosed with cancer. Okay. But I think I'm going to get into that in a second. Okay. So I think that that was a convenient kind of excuse, but... I think this is coming together for me now. Did she poison her daughter too? Uh, yes, but there's okay. a couple a couple of stories like that. Okay. Um, so then her son, Michael, and his wife, Terry, move in off and on. And Marie basically... She likes having her oldest son with her because he kind of helps run things around the house and he pitches in financially. And so she likes having him there. And it's super odd that like, as soon as he tries to move out or Marie tries to go on her own, suddenly a series of little fires breaks out, like random fires. Anytime someone was going to try to move in or out of the house. Hmm. So highly, highly suspicious and quite shady. And... Eventually, Marie and Carol moved back to Anniston, Alabama. I guess they had moved away um, either around the end of Frank's life or at some point they'd moved away from Anniston. And then after Frank dies, they moved back to Anniston, Alabama. And now Carol starts getting sick. Hmm. Right? Coincidence? Something about Anniston. Something Hmm. in the water up there. Hmm. It just so happens that life insurance has just been purchased for both Carol and Michael. Oh, how weird. Marie's two children. Well, yeah, you do want to get life insurance when there's something in the water in Aniston. I mean, I don't trust Aniston. Right. And it's pretty much the same amount as Frank's policy was. Mm. So Carol is having multiple symptoms, just like Frank. She's feeling nauseous. She's having stomach pain. She's got numbness in her limbs, fingers, etc. Carol goes to the hospital multiple multiple times, and the doctors are stumped. They don't know how or why she's sick, and she's young. Right. And they actually do a psych eval on her at one point because they think she's really? fake, they think she's faking it. She's just a hysterical woman, right? And I think maybe it's psychosomatic, etc. So, while her daughter is in the hospital getting treatment, and while they're trying to figure out what's wrong with her, Marie gets arrested. Want to guess what for... she got arrested for? Ooh, um, did she pass? Uh, bad checks? Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> ding, ding, yes. ding, 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 ding. <laughs> that was awesome. 
bad checks for $50, Alex. Um, yeah, so evidently that was kind of her thing. She was like monetary, monetary gain for whatever purpose was like her jam. Hmm. And her shady behavior was starting to finally catch up with her. But it also caused the family to be super suspicious of Marie and with good reason. They start to check her out in a little bit more detail after the check fraud. And her family remembers Marie, give, excuse me, Carol tells the family at this time as well that Marie has been giving her quote unquote vitamin shots to help with her illness. Uh, yeah. And this is around what, the 80s-ish? Yeah. Yeah, hmm. late 70s, early 80s. But Carol makes it clear the shots never helped her. They only made her worse. Yeah, were we just like willy-nilly giving people shots without... I don't know. She's not a nurse. It just seems crazy <laughs> that they do, were doing vitamin shots back then. That seems bonkers to me. I didn't yeah. realize that was a thing until like the late 80s. Because remember we had the, the needle prick case? He was giving yes. her vitamin shots too. Yeah, but that was a doctor. Yeah, but this is like, yeah, all willy-nilly giving out vitamin shots. Yeah, just like, I got my hands on a needle and a syringe and... Yeah, and you'd you'd think somebody would have figured this out earlier, but evidently they didn't. And Carol's family hears the story from Carol, because Carol's like, oh yeah, I remember this couple times mom was giving me shots. Oh, by the way. (laughs) Right? And so Carol's family goes to the doctors, and this makes everyone instantly suspicious of Marie... And they look at Carol's nails because this is like a telltale sign for arsenic poisoning. If you have little white mm-hmm. bands, white bands across your nails, really? And they, yeah, they find that that Carol has those little white bands on her her fingers and her toes because mm. I guess it stays in your system for a certain amount of time, and it's in the roots of your hair and in the the nails, and they can tell how often you've been giving it and how long it's been since you had the dose and and so forth. Interesting. So they look at Carol's nails and they're like, oh yeah, you've definitely been poisoned. And they start blood work immediately. Right. They find out she's had a hundred times the normal amount of arsenic. Which what? should have killed her, right? Yeah. So they know she's been poisoned. And this causes the police to exhume Frank's, Hilly's body as well, and Lucille. And they test them. And they find that both of them have very high levels of arsenic in their bodies. Frank likely died from it lucille they can't conclusively prove because she had cancer right whether it was the cancer or the arsenic or if the arsenic just kind of exacerbated her condition and made her die more rapidly but they they weren't confident that they could use lucille's for a conviction but they were confident that they could use frank's and that was enough for them they filed charges um they filed charges against um marie for attempted murder and murder so attempted murder of her daughter and murder mm-hmm. of her ex or her husband that had passed away. Um, next, the police go and search Marie's home and find she definitely has arsenic. So like they're like all over that. What's interesting is right. that they searched her purse and she had a little vial of it. Like, who does that? Just on hand. Yeah, she just randomly has a vial of arsenic in her purse. Like number you one, you never know when you're going to need to poison somebody. Really really you have a vial of arsenic in your purse number two like come the heck on get rid of that (laughs) after you've done the poisoning get rid of it yeah for real yeah that's bush league right there so she's got there's there's more than enough evidence to to arrest her and and file the charges um and i guess i think back in the day it used to be the most common ingredient in rat poison so Mm -hmm. i don't think it was as hard to get back then as it is now right 
And then as well, like it's important to note that everybody has small amounts of arsenic in their systems as it is. That it's it's um something that is in like apple seeds and certain other kinds of naturally occurring apple things seeds that we cyanide. eat. Well, there's something like, there's a bunch of different things that actually have arsenic in them naturally, yeah. like fruits and vegetables. Yeah, it's a naturally occurring and compound. rice or something like that. For so, trace amounts. Yes. So everybody has small amounts in their system as it is now, almost everybody. But yeah. it's when it starts to get into the higher than normal range that they start to think somebody's poisoning. So like I said, they charged Marie with attempted murder against her daughter. And the judge sets what was considered a very low bail at $15,000. And Marie instantly posts bail and gets the heck out of Dodge. Um, evidently, she's got cash laying around her. Maybe she wrote a check, <laughs> right? She, she passed a hot check for her bail. Well, that was the thing. <laughs> so she posts the bail. Somehow she posts the bail and gets the heck out of Dodge. And I think there was some controversy about this as well because... This is an attempted murder charge, and she basically walked the heck out of there, which should never have yeah. been allowed to happen. But they thought, you know, here's yeah. this white, attractive, privileged woman who clearly kind of talked her way into it and manipulated people and was good at doing that and lulled everyone into a false sense of confidence that she wasn't going anywhere, and then she took off. Mm-hmm. But um, they were working on the charges for Frank but not for the mom because she had cancer and they couldn't pinpoint the two and, and prove the causation in that particular case. But they had determined almost immediately that there was no flight risk because this is an attractive white female. But again, like I said, she got the heck out of there. It's funny. You me- <laughs> Marie, like, she left a note <laughs> at her house after she left saying, might have been kidnapped. What? What? She left a note saying that she might have been kidnapped. And it just, it's very nonspecific, just might have been kidnapped, quote unquote. Okay, let's, let's walk through that. <laughs> so, so you just get out, you post bond for the attempted murder of your daughter. Yeah. And then you go missing, but... No, you don't go you missing. T- you, you take off. <laughs> well, no, but, but let's, let's play through her scenario of what she thinks they're going to believe. She, she goes missing, but yet she has the time to leave a note saying that she may have been kidnapped. Yes. I see. Okay. Yeah. Just wanted to clear all that out. That totally makes sense. If you're going to be kidnapped, make sure you leave a note that says you may have been kidnapped. I don't know what her thought process was for that. I, I, honestly, <laughs> I don't. Um, and then in her absence, they charge her with the death of her husband, Frank, because they had immediately filed the charges with attempted murder for Carol, and they were still gathering yeah. the information so they could charge her with the Frank death as well, and they did that while she was gone. Additionally, interestingly enough, Carrie Hilly, who's Frank's mother, her mother-in-law, also died right about that time, and Marie had been the primary caregiver up until that point, until she was in the wind. She had huh. been the caregiver, and then all of a sudden, the mom dies as well. And she's, she hollers out of there. Right. And she's already gone by that point. So it, clearly she had set the wheels in motion on that one long before she decided she was right. going to take off or get arrested or any of that crap. But they tested Carrie Hilly's body as well and found that she too had arsenic in very high levels. Jesus. Um, but they did determine that perhaps it wasn't fatal. They couldn't prove it conclusively in that instance too. I, th- I think maybe um, Marie hadn't gotten to the point where she was able to put as much into her system mm-hmm. as she wanted to because she was clearly in and out of jail for check fraud mm-hmm. and things like that. So maybe that kind of she got other things going on. messed up her poisoning <laughs> plan. 
So pretty much Marie is loco by that crazy loco by that point with her poisoning. She's just like poisoning left and right and, and yeah. like this person and that person. And what was really interesting is some of the backstory behind this as well. Um, they looked back into her history and they there was <laughs> I gotta go over this with you because this is super interesting as well. Um, okay. There's some other stuff going on at the same time as this whole thing is happening. And the thing is, like, this case jumps around so in so many directions that you just, like, I think it kind of baffles the mind a little bit. But normally the police would sort of apprehend this fugitive and she would go to jail. End of story, right? Mm -hmm. But that is not what happens here. And, oh, wait, there's more. <laughs> so after she takes off, Marie leaves Alabama and goes to Florida. She's determined to live her very best life and to get the heck out of Alabama and she's going to do it. And the police also discover right about that time that there's been a burglary at Marie slash Audrey's aunt's home. A car is stolen as well as clothing and an overnight bag. They find a note there too. So I think she's real big about leaving. <laughs> the suitcase might have been kidnapped. Yeah. It says, <laughs> do not call police. We will burn you if you do. We found what we wanted and we will not bother you again. So she's trying to like make a connection between her kidnapping and the break-in saying like yeah. some group kidnapped her yeah. and then also took the car and the overnight bag. Yeah. Yeah. Got and, the, it. and the clothes. Cause they want, very well they organized want women's kidnapping clothes. Group. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, the police charge her January 11th, 1980. So here we are. All this stuff was happening kind of in the late seventies. So there's not mm -hmm. a lot of computer connections with stuff. And so it was a lot easier for her to get away with some of the stuff she did. But um, that was officially when the charges were filed for the murder of Frank Hilly. And then police also examined an 11-year-old friend of Marie's that died back in 1974. They exhumed this poor little girl's body and didn't find anything above normal arsenic levels for that little girl. But supposedly, back in the day, a bunch of neighborhood kids got really sick and things after they had drinks at her house. Whoa. Wait, so she... Yeah, but supposedly this girl didn't have... They exhumed her in 1974 or this girl died in 1974? She died in 1974 and they thought maybe she had something to do with this little girl's death. Right. But she also, yes, Jesus. she also was known to have put things in people's drinks. Kids, right. neighborhood kids that come to visit her house. So they don't know when she started actually poisoning people, whether she was a young girl when she started experimenting with it, whether she was a teenager, they don't know. She just, oh, wow. they, they thought they had to be sure. So they went and yeah. exhumed the body of this 11 year old girl, which is super creepy. But in the meantime, though, Marie now slash Audrey is in Florida, living it up in the Sunshine State. And she meets a man named okay. John Greenleaf Horman III. Or Holman. Okay. Okay. She changes her she changes her name to Robbie Hannon to stay under the radar. Okay. Keep that in mind. To Robbie. So original name Audrey. She calls herself okay. Marie. And then she goes and changes it to Robbie as soon as she cross she as soon as she crosses the Florida state line. Why she picked Robbie is beyond me. I don't know. It's a weird name. But she's trying to stay under the radar. Okay. This guy, John, is a boat builder and an ex bodybuilder and supposedly a good looking dude. These two hit it off. And if you look at pictures of Marie slash Robbie slash Audrey, she's a decent looking chick, but like no, no okay. one would think by looking at this picture of this woman that she would have any kind of hypnotic spellbinding abilities, but 
she met this guy and almost immediately started this relationship with him and moves in with him and they get married. She gets a secretarial job mm. and they basically like moved from zero to 60 in like five seconds. She played this guy so fast and so hard telling him that she is like this, got this super sad past and she had some kids at one point and she lost them and she doesn't want to talk about it. She's moving on with her life and he believes everything eats it up. Right. No questions. Doesn't question her at all. John and Robbie okay. Marie slash Audrey marry in 1981 and eventually they moved to New Hampshire together. Mm-hmm. Now Marie at this point slash Robbie has been a fugitive for about a year for this murder of Frank Kelly and attempted murder of her daughter, Carol. Things are going really well and super chill for John and Robbie slash Marie slash Audrey. <laughs> they have good jobs. They, they make decent money. They're getting right. along great. And by all accounts, no right. one knew where she was. So it wasn't like the, the authorities were like closing in on her or anything like that. But so this is where the story gets really wild. She tells her husband that she's sick from some right. kind of super rare blood illness and there's no cure and she needs to get special treatment. Okay. In, in order to get that special treatment, she's got to go to Texas and she has a twin named Terry. In <laughs> yeah. Texas. Okay. I, now I've heard okay. this part. Yeah. This is for about year. Yeah. Right. So she's like kind of setting the stage, like laying out the story, like, Oh, I'm super sick and I got to go to Texas with my sister to get this treatment. And don't worry about me. I'm going to be fine. Cause Terry's there to take care. And by of the me. way, I have a twin that I have not told you about, even though we've been married for a little while. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So John is super supportive. He's like, whatever you need, baby, you do it, you go. And he's like, first was like, I really want to take you. Let me take you. And she's like, no, no, I need to be with my sister right now. <laughs> it's, it's really important that we're supportive together. So Robbie leaves, Robbie slash Marie slash Audrey leaves and doesn't come back. Hmm. Okay. But that's not it. John gets a phone call from this sister, Uh Terry saying, Robbie Marie slash Audrey died in treatment and we're going to donate her body to science. And I feel it was really important for me to call and let you know that she's dead now and I'm really sorry. And I thought it was important for me to try to meet the man that my sister was married to and and just let you know personally. Okay. She also decides she's going to come to New Hampshire. What? Right. And she arrives in New Hampshire and she's lost like about 20 pounds and dyed her hair blonde. Mm -hmm. Okay. She's telling him this whole time. I'm my, I'm Robbie's twin sister, Terry. (laughs) I'm not Robbie slash Marie. I'm Terry. <laughs> Look, my hair's blonde. <laughs> she fools John. Oh my goodness. John buys it all. Lock, sock, and barrel. Poor guy. He's <laughs> like, I'm so, I'm so Poor sorry, guy. Terry. Gets into a relationship with Terry. Nope. Don't do that. Yeah. They hook up. <laughs> oh my and God. And their grief. How imagine? biblical. Like, yeah. So... She settles in, gets a job, and starts to become romantic, builds this relationship with John, although they don't get married. And because that would be weird. People around them. Yeah. yeah. She, meanwhile, the people around them, I think, are like, some of them were fooled by it if they didn't really know her right. that well. But I think his close friends and other people that, that had known her a little bit more were like, no effing That's way. That's like the ultimate gaslighting. No. This is the craziest ish. No, this is not happening. So they start to look into Robbie's death. 
slash Marie slash Audrey. And they find that some of the stuff is not lining up. And, of course, Robbie slash Terry slash Marie, (laughs) this woman, Hilly, decides she's going to print out an obituary in the local paper for Robbie's death. Covering the trail. Yeah, and says that the body's been donated to such and such hospital for for scientific research, and this is the cemetery that she's buried in, and this is the church that was involved. And, of course, people start Mm -hmm. to look into it and research and find out that none of the things that she talked about in the Mm -hmm. obituary were real. Wasn't a real hospital, wasn't a real cemetery, wasn't a real church. Like, nothing lines up. And they're like, something ain't right here. And they start looking at fugitives thinking that she's a fugitive, yeah. but they think she's a different fugitive. They don't think she's Audrey Marie Hilly. They think she's a different wow. fugitive, but they think she's like a less serious fugitive, like a theft or something, not a murder per se. And they call the police, the police catcher, of course. And they ask her who she is. And she tells them immediately. She confesses. I'm Audrey Marie Hilly. I'm wanted for forgery and check fraud. She doesn't tell oh. anything about the attempted murder. Just, or you know, some minor stuff. forgery and check fraud. Basically. And so they, they, you know, they take her. They're not going to be like, oh, well, it's not that right. serious. We'll let you go this time. They take her in and then they find out, oh, no, she's wanted for much right. more than she said she was. They take her back to Alabama to stand trial. She'd been on the run for three wow. years. That's a long time. And she was time. two different people and, during that time. Yeah. And she basically just melted in and, you know, manipulated everyone around her and no one suspected Mm. the least. I don't think they were even close to catching her. I think she was like, yeah, living her, living her very best life. And she was like staying under the radar. She was working a normal job and just, she wasn't doing anything crazy, but then she had to go do that whole Robbie Terry thing. Yeah. Like at any point, like she, she was asking people to look into her past with like all of that nonsense. Like at any point she could have just I not just, done any of that. I just wonder if maybe she, the authorities were catching up with her and she knew it or something. And she was afraid she was going to get caught. And, and but like, she could have just that on purpose disappeared to Texas. Like she didn't have to go back know. to New Hampshire. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe she loved John and eh, she just couldn't stay I'm not away sure from she her. loves anything but herself. I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it. But Anyway, they discover all the murder stuff, and in 1983, the trial for Marie's attempted murder of daughter and her husband happens, and the jury comes back with a guilty charge for both the first-degree murder charge and the attempted murder charge. She gets life in prison for Frank and 20 years for the attempted murder. They immediately lock her up in a women's prison in Alabama, Mm -hmm. and what's funny is they designate her as a minimum security offender. And I'm like, who the hell is she sleeping with at what and where to get them to designate her as a minimum security offender when she murdered someone? I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Alabama is a place that learns from its history. I'm not going to do that. Of course, Alabama made that same mistake. Of course they did. Yeah. It just is wild to me that a murderer could be designated as that. So, you want to know what she gets as a minimum security offender? Does she get, like, day passes? Yeah, she gets furlough. She gets to leave for the weekend. But where is Tutwiler Prison? And this is, this is the 80s. Tutwiler Prison this is, is, where is that? Unbelievable. I know that's a women's prison in Alabama, but... Um, yeah. Why do I feel like it's, like, in near Tuscaloosa? That's because Tutwiler Dorm is in Tuscaloosa. It's in Wetumpka. Oh, it's outside of Montgomery. Okay. Eh. 
I just cannot believe that they would give a murderer like day passes and call him a low security yeah. risk. She po- she poisoned countless yeah. people. How is she a low risk? Anyway, she's allowed to get out to go work and visit her family and whatnot. And unbelievably, this this part just blows me away. John, her most recent hubby, stands by her. Doesn't what? divorce her. Does he think she's innocent? Actually, uh, I don't know that he thinks she's innocent. I think she. I think he thinks she just made some mistakes. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. He relocates to Anniston, Alabama to be near her. That sucks. Wild, right? And she's on this weekend. Marie slash Audrey slash Robbie slash Terry takes a weekend with John. And he goes off, leaves her in the hotel room to run an errand. And guess what she does? Fails. She yeah. takes off again. <laughs> Which, surprise, surprise. He's literally gone for a second. And she's like, peace out. And takes off. And it's winter, and it's a little more chilly, and she has no money, no extra clothes, no car. She's on foot, and she's hiding out in the woods with no mm. shelter. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's, let's, get, let's make a few guesses as to what's actually going to happen with this scenario, mm-hmm. right? Um, after a few days on the run, she is found incoherent, cold, and hypothermic. She had wandered up onto some woman's front porch, and the woman had called the authorities. Now... That's what one story said, but a couple of other ones said that this was a childhood friend that she had gone to elementary school with or something like that, and she had actually found this woman on purpose to try to get help from her because she knew her. But um, they take her to the hospital immediately and attempt to treat her for severe hypothermia, but she has a heart attack and dies at the age of 54. Hmm. So this story was actually a Lifetime movie. (laughs) Like back Sweet. in the 80s, and Judith Judith Light was like who's Judith Light Hilly, the mom from Who's the Boss? I never watched Who's the Boss. Oh my god, okay. look it up! This the movie okay. is awesome. Like Judith Light could not be more perfect for this role. Have it's you seen such it? Such a good movie. It's that. It's like mom, mother, wife. Oh my gosh! Something like that. It's just Fantastically so wild. It's lifetime. so wild. It's such a good movie. Um, it's so 80s yes. Lifetime movie. Like, I love Lifetime movies anyway, because they're just so cheesy that it just makes me die laughing every time I watch one. But this woman, like, what an incredible con artist. She packed a lot into In her 54 case, years. Yeah, this case is just so interesting to me for all the twists and turns and the fact that this is she's a female serial mm-hmm. killer, essentially. And it's a lot more rare, obviously, to see them. And she was definitely a psychopath. But she was killing basically for profit for most yeah. of these, like insurance policies. But then some of the people like poisoning the little girl possibly and just this just was a really, really wild case. Yes. And I have heard of that case. Uh, it's one of the more famous Alabama ones, but there's so many that I've, I got confused over. But as soon as she said she went to Texas, I knew exactly what was going to happen. I don't understand. Yeah. Like, I mean, at any point she could have just not. I mean, it. it you want to pull that thread if she could have just not killed her family but any like she could have just lived in texas like she didn't have to go back to new hampshire that's what ended up getting her caught she just made a lot of stupid mistakes for and i wonder like like, when john moved down to aniston to be with her i wonder what name she went by like did she just be like yep i'm audrey or i'm marie or was she still like trying to be like robbie I felt so bad for him because he just like bought yeah. it all like hook, line and sinker. And I just ugh, really. And then I was like, dude, maybe you deserve it. Eh, I don't know <laughs> if anybody deserves it. But like, yeah, that's 
unfortunate. This, I wonder what happened with him. I wonder woman. if he uh, stayed in Aniston or if he got the heck out of Alabama, which is what I would have done. Just seems like she had like some very, very serious powers of persuasion. Yeah. And when you look at her and see this, you're just like, how? Yeah. She looks like somebody's like stereotypical 50s mom. She's not particularly glamorous or gorgeous or anything, but it's like... I don't know. Whoa. Maybe it's Maybelline. Really? I don't know. And she died in her 50s, and you see the pictures of her. She looks like yeah, 70s. She, uh, yeah, she does look 50s. older. But anyway, this I think we're, there's some major lessons that were learned in this case, including the fur... Number one, don't live in Aniston. Number two, no more furlough. Uh huh. Um, and then you know, designation, no bail for murder cases, that mm-hmm. kind of a thing. She's just a very manipulative woman, and it's funny because it's like you hear them talk about her daughter testifying in the, the case against her, and I think that you find this in a lot of murder cases where children have to testify against their parents. Like they, yeah, they're kind of torn because it's like this is the parent that's loved me and cared for me my whole right. life, but she tried to kill me. Like I can't right. even imagine how wild that would be. Yeah. And I wonder why the son, he clearly seemed like the favorite, like why he didn't get any of that treatment. Maybe she tried to poison him too and they just didn't catch it. Like yeah, it I don't just know. this is a woman that carries a vial of arsenic around in her purse. Like and then she she clearly got herself like under control because she didn't that we know of try to poison anyone else after she right. left the poisoning of Carol. So Maybe she got her fill. I, it's just, it's wild to me that she would do so many of these things. Yeah. And did she believe, you know, I just don't understand how she could think someone would believe the Robbie Terry story. It just is so weird. I, I don't know why she would think the may have been kidnapped note would have worked. <laughs> it just doesn't seem like something a rational, intelligent adult would say or do. It just... Was she right. seriously, very seriously mental, mentally ill? Like, I just want to know, like, what her, what was going on in her brain? Like, was she just seriously wired in a different way than normal human beings? I just, mean, it sounds incredibly narcissistic. Not, like, mentally ill to where she's, like, diminished capacity and not responsible for what she did. It sounds right. like she's just extremely narcissistic. But what created in this? Just, like, cross wires in her brain? Or is it just, you know, growing yeah, up in the depression? I mean, I like, just wild, wild, wild story. Yeah. And then she's basically like spends three or four days before she dies crawling around in the woods on her hands and knees, like sleeping under trees and getting wet and hypothermic and then dies of a heart attack because she had hypothermia. Like, yeah, just that's a way to go. What an ending to the story. She yep. didn't want to go back to prison, I guess. Like, but she's a low security risk. I don't know. Yeah. Wild. Really, really wild. Oh, so. Aniston. Okay, unless you have anything else to add, we'll go ahead and wrap up the episode for the day. I don't, and don't write in. I'm just kidding about Aniston, mostly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if anyone knows, you probably do. All right. Um, Okay, so if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can shoot us an email. We're at thebftpodcast at gmail.com. We really like hearing emails from you guys, even if they're slightly weird and snarky. Those are even better than the normal emails, (laughs) I think. But um, please rate, review, and subscribe as well. It's really, really important to us in the podcast to try to push us up in the, the ratings and help other people discover some of the weird, wacky, and wild content that we have. But Darcy, social media? Yeah, we are at the BFD Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, so we will post the show notes and all of that good stuff there, too. And pictures of Little Miss 
Audrey, Marie, yeah. Rob, Robbie, Terry. <laughs> we'll post some pictures of her too because it's they're pretty wild as well. And please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>